You're listening to Preach the Word with David Ryu, Sermon Archive. Let's pray together. Everlasting to everlasting God, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has gone by. You have no beginning or end. You are not bound by time, for you are the creator of time and the eternal, self-existing, self-sufficient God. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass away. Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us to remember the brevity of life that we may gain a heart of wisdom and humility. Forgive us, Lord, for how often we fail to honor you with our time. Forgive us, Lord, for our many failures, our shortcomings, our iniquities, our secret sins. We confess that we have sinned against you and we rightfully deserve your just wrath. Gracious God, have compassion on your people and relent. Remember the man of sorrows who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities. Remember and be pleased with your beloved Son who laid down his life as an offering for sin. Thank you, merciful Father, that you laid on him the iniquity of us all who would believe. Indeed, our sins are many, but your mercy is infinitely more in Jesus Christ. Satisfy us this day with your unfailing love, that our hearts may be overfilled with joy. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on your servants today and establish the works of our hands. God, we commit the works and plans of Diaspora Church to you. As the different congregations seek to fully transition into this new church plant and new location, we ask that you would establish our steps. We also ask that you continue to bless the parent churches and fill up any holes and needs created there by our departure. God of all grace, we ask that you replenish the energy and vitality of the launch committee and EM representatives who have been working so tirelessly to launch this church. Bless their efforts and grant that they might taste the fruits of their labor tenfold. Lord, we thank you for our incredible praise team, our tech team, our fellowship team, our creative communications team, our ushering team, and continue to mobilize and equip your people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And Lord, as members of your body, help us to pursue purity and holiness in all areas of our lives. By grace we have been justified, and by grace we shall be sanctified. 
As we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, grant us greater disgust and hatred toward our sin and immorality, and yet increase our appetite for holiness and wholly confirm your church into the likeness of Christ. And so, Holy Father, as we now turn our attention to hear from your word, we ask that your spirit illuminate your word and guide us into all truth. Fix the posture of our hearts to receive divine revelations and give us understanding of heavenly and precious realities. We seek and ask all this in the name of our mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you guys can open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 15, we're going right back where we left off in our expositional sermon series through the Gospel of John. And we left off at John chapter 15, verse 26. I'll be reading from the NIV translation. John chapter 15, verse 26, and I'll be reading till chapter 16, verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember what I have warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you now, more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify Me, because it is from Me that He will receive what He will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is Mine. That is why I have said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Amen. This is the reading 
of God's word. Just to refresh your memory, the passage just before 15, chapter 15, verse 18 to 25, Jesus warns his disciples that they will be the target of the world's hatred and hostility. This is our context. Now, if you remember the sermon two weeks ago, we outlined that there are three main reasons why the world hates Christians. Number one, the world hates Christians because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Number two, the world hates Christians because they do not belong to the world. Number three, the world hates Christians because they remind the world of their sin. And so Jesus says in our passage today, the time is coming. The time is coming when Christians will be barred from society. They will be thrown out of the synagogues. Many will come after you to take your life. Now if you think about all of this and really think about it, Jesus is putting his disciples in a very, very difficult and tough spot, doesn't he? I mean, if I was one of the disciples, the version of disciples, I'd be freaking out. And think about what Jesus is telling them. He tells them that the world will hate them. He tells them that he is going away where they cannot follow him. And then he tells them to go out into the world and tell everybody about Jesus himself. And so on the surface, it really looks like this. It really looks like that Jesus is just abandoning them and then sending them out on a suicide mission. But this is why I think Jesus is making it abundantly clear to his disciples in our passage today that we just read that no, he is not abandoning them. He is not leaving them to fulfill the monumental task of preaching the gospel on their own. But Jesus promises to send the Advocate, the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit will help His disciples in testifying about Him, in guiding them into all truth, and convicting them, and convicting the world. And so as you can see, our passage naturally leads us to this topic. I didn't choose this topic today. The text drives us to this topic today, doesn't it? The topic of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? And what is the role of the Holy Spirit? You know, I find it a tragedy that so many Christians today neglect the Holy Spirit because that means they're neglecting the third person of the triune God. The scriptures teach that there is one God, of course, who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thus, the Holy Spirit is God and is co-equal and co-eternal with the God, Father and God, the Son. No doubt, the scriptures teach this And the divine works of the Spirit are too numerous to list now, but a few. Let me give you a few examples. The Spirit was involved in the creation of the universe, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The Spirit inspired the Holy Scriptures, the Bible you hold in your hands, 2 Peter 1, 21. The Spirit brought Jesus into our world through the virgin birth, Luke 1, 35. 
The Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. 1 Peter 3.18 And of course, the same Holy Spirit also now works in and through the life of every believer. The Spirit indwells and resides in every believer, John 14, 17. The Spirit communes and fellowships with us, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The Spirit comforts us, John 14, 16. The Spirit encourages us, Acts 9, 31. The Spirit empowers us to be His witnesses, Acts 1, 8. The Spirit leads us, Romans 8, 14. The Spirit prays for us and helps us to pray, Romans 8, 26. The Spirit enables believers to understand spiritual truths in the Word. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The Spirit convicts us of our sin. John 16.8 The Spirit enables us to put to death our sins. Romans 8.13 The Spirit sanctifies us, helping us in the process of being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 but how about our text today? How does our text today specifically teach us about the Holy Spirit? Well, first, let's look at the first verse, of verse 26 of chapter 15. Jesus tells us that He will send the Spirit from the Father, and the Spirit goes out from the Father, indicating the distinction between the three persons, yet the unified purpose of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Also in verse 26, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as what? As the advocate. Parakletos in the Greek. Some other English translations use not the advocate, but counselor, comforter, helper. But the word parakletos carries the quality of one who comes alongside, comes alongside to assist, to encourage, to strengthen. Certainly, the Holy Spirit does all three of these things, actively encouraging, assisting, and strengthening the believers. And contrary to popular belief, the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force or abstract energy. When I was younger, I used to think the Holy Spirit works like the Force in Star Wars. The Jedi's, how they use the Force. And it's just some kind of abstract energy or impersonal force. That's not true. Though the Holy Spirit is not visible to our human eye, He is deeply personal. We're told the Spirit has a mind of His own, Romans 8.27. The Spirit has a will to choose, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. The Spirit is capable of love, Romans 15, 30. The Spirit experiences grief when we sin, Ephesians 4, 30. Since the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, but a real person, that means that it's actually possible for you and I to enjoy a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Think about this. Think about the Apostle's benediction in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. 14. He says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
You see that? It's actually possible for Christians to have a deep and intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So all in all, the whole Bible, the New Testament, clearly affirms the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Also, in the second half of verse 26, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as what? The Spirit of truth. Spirit of truth. There is no deception found in Him. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth and nothing but the truth, especially regarding the testimony of the Son of God, the Messiah. The Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus Christ and will also empower believers to testify about Him. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth once again in verse 13. Look at verse 13 with me. In verse 13 He says, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears and what He will tell you what is yet to come. In essence, this is really a promise. A promise to the disciples, isn't it? The Spirit will lead them into all the truth. Meaning that all the disciples and all that they need to know will be made known to them. The Spirit will reveal to them all that God intends to reveal to them. It's a promise. And think about it, this was absolutely necessary. Why? Because some of the original disciples and the apostles, they would go on to write the New Testament scriptures, the Bible that we hold in our hands. The Bible is God's Word. And though it was written by human authors, the Holy Spirit would guide them to write what they wrote. And this is what we call the doctrine of verbal plenary inspiration. You don't have to remember that. But it means whereby the Holy Spirit ultimately guides the authors of the Bible to write exactly what He wanted to com communicate to His people. But of course, the Holy Spirit doesn't exactly work in the same way now, does He? God no longer gives us new and fresh divine revelations the same way that He authored the scriptures through the apostles and through the prophets. That's why Christians today don't and cannot add to the Holy Scriptures. You understand? The canon is closed. The Bible is finished. We don't add to it. We don't receive new divine revelations. But it's still accurate to say that the Holy Spirit guides us into all the truth. How? How does He guide us into all the truth now, today? He does it through illuminating what was already written in the Scriptures. And this is what I pray before every sermon, right? Before we read the Scriptures, I always pray, God, Holy Spirit, illuminate your words to us. When we pray that prayer, we're praying that the Holy Spirit will shed light to what we are reading, what we are hearing. 
We are asking the Holy Spirit to help us to understand God's word, to convict us of the truth, and to apply that truth in our very lives. So as I mentioned earlier, Jesus does not leave his disciples to fulfill the monumental task of preaching the gospel on their own. He knows that his disciples and we are incapable of carrying out such a task on our own strength, on our own initiative. Jesus promised to send the advocate, the spirit of truth. After Jesus goes to the cross, He's crucified as the sacrifice of atonement. After Jesus rises on the third day, conquering sin and death. And after that, Jesus would appear again to his disciples. And just before he ascends into heaven, he reiterates this promise. I will send you the advocate. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And surely Jesus would keep this promise on the day of Pentecost. The disciples received the Holy Spirit. And even today, the Holy Spirit indwells all believers and all followers of Jesus Christ throughout all generations. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ right now in this room, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The question is then, how can we be sure? How can you and I be sure if you're a Christian? How can, you, how can we be sure that the Holy Spirit really dwells in us? Would we experience miraculous experiences? Would we have these Intense spiritual feelings all the time? Perhaps. But let me tell you, I, I don't think it's too common to experience some sort of power up, like a super scene or something. It's important for us to understand that it is ultimately on the basis of God's promise in His Word that we can trust and know that the Holy Spirit indwells and resides in every genuine Christian today. Yes, you can have feelings and experiences indeed, but we should never trust our own feelings and experiences over the promises of God in His Word. For this is how we know all other spiritual truths, like our salvation, like heaven and hell, how do we know that these exist? Because the Word of God tells us so. That is the ultimate basis of what we know anything in terms of Christian doctrine. The fact is that the Holy Spirit is a gracious gift from God to you, to every believer, and we receive the Holy Spirit by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That is why the Apostle Paul describes all believers as being the temples of the Holy Spirit. Take that in for a second. It means that if you're a Christian, God has taken up permanent residence 
in you and make you his home. You're his house. He lives in us. Now, there's something quite perplexing in our passage today that I want to draw our attention to. It's a more difficult point, but I still felt the need to draw our attention to this very perplexing passage in verse 7. Look with me to verse 7. Jesus says to his disciples, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now Jesus promises to send his disciples the advocate. But he says first, he must depart from the world. His going away is necessary for the advocate to be sent to his disciples. Now the question is why? It's quite perplexing, isn't it? Why did Jesus have to physically depart from the world first in order for the disciples to receive the Holy Spirit? And how is Jesus' physical absence and departure actually good for his disciples? How can he say that? I mean, wouldn't it have been so much better if Jesus stayed and remained with the disciples? Wouldn't it have been better if today we can physically see and touch Jesus Christ, His body? How is His departure actually good for us? Well, first of all, Jesus had a very specific mission to accomplish here on earth. He came to live the perfect life that the law of God required. He did that so that his perfect life and his perfect obedience could be counted as the righteousness of sinners like you and me who trust in him. His perfect obedience and his righteousness becomes ours while our sins and our guilt is transferred onto him. Jesus lays down his life as a ransom for sinners. He pays for our sins while we are given his right standing before the Father. And then Jesus does not remain dead. He is resurrected unto life, conquering sin and death. And so you see, Jesus, by living the perfect life, sacrificing his life on the cross, and then triumphantly rising from the grave, Jesus has completed his work here on earth. It's done. It's finished. And now all that's left for Jesus to do is physically depart and ascend into heaven. And it is good for us that Jesus departs from the earth because it is good for us that Jesus ascends into heaven. What do I mean? Well, you see, it's common for Christians to think about how Jesus' death on the cross, how his resurrection benefits us, right? We know that, we think about that. But do you ever consider how we also benefit from Jesus' physical departure and his ascension into heaven? 
Since Jesus has ascended into heaven, He rules now and reigns over all the earth on His heavenly throne. He reigns over all matters in heaven and on earth, including His church. The ascended and exalted Jesus Christ exercises His authority to meet the needs of His church, seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus intercedes for His people. We want Jesus seated on the throne in heaven. We want Him seated at the right hand of God, the Father, because it is for our best interests that Jesus is our intercessor, our high priest. Moreover, it's because Jesus has physically departed and ascended into heaven and exalted that now we have the complete and whole gospel. The gospel is not complete if Jesus did not ascend into heaven. Do you understand this? The gospel that we preach, we preach the gospel, we, we preach of the one who died, who rose, who ascended, and who is now exalted over all the earth and heavens. That's the gospel that we preach. In verse 14 of our passage, Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit will glorify Him. This is a very important clue. The Holy Spirit's mission is to glorify the Son of God on the earth. And to be more specific, the Spirit's work in the believer and the world is to glorify the Christ who died, who rose, and who has ascended, and who has been exalted. The Spirit's work is to reveal the glory of Christ in the full gospel, in the fullness of who Christ is, and what Christ has accomplished. Christ has not just died for our sins, Christ not has just rose again to victory, but Christ has been exalted and reigns over all dominions. Furthermore, though Jesus' physical presence is no longer with us, we now have the presence of the Holy Spirit with us at all times. I mean, Jesus in His human body could only be at one place at a time. But the Holy Spirit is able to be with all the disciples in all the world at all times and all places because the Spirit indwells in every single believer. I mean, it's just kind of common sense. A physical being cannot indwell another physical being. And Jesus promises to us that He will be with us always to the very end of the age, at the end of the Great Commission. He's, he's going to always be with us. How? How is He going to do this? Jesus' presence is to be experienced in the believers through the Holy Spirit. And so you see, in this mysterious and glorious way, we actually get more of Christ in His physical absence through the Holy Spirit. For all these reasons and more, Jesus is absolutely right in saying that it is good for us. It is good for us that He physically departs, ascends, and sends us the Holy Spirit. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to know this. The Holy Spirit is truly a wonderful and gracious gift to us all. He is our guide, He is our instructor, our teacher, 
our advocate, our helper, our counselor, our comforter, our friend, and our God. We must not neglect the Spirit, but rather we must learn to be holy and utterly dependent on the Spirit for everything in our Christian lives. The Holy Spirit is the revealer of all truth and the principal agent of divine revelation and illumination. The Holy Spirit works conviction, regeneration, and transformation in the hearts of every sinner. I really do believe that one of Satan's main strategies to thwart the kingdom of God, to destroy the church, is to get Christians like you and me to ignore, to forget the doctrine and presence of the Holy Spirit. Because apart from the Spirit, believers in the world cannot understand and perceive spiritual truths and realities. And so friends, are you truly convinced of your sin and your lack of righteousness? Are you truly convinced of your guilt and the just judgment of God that you've incurred because of your sin? If you are convinced and you want to trust in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and you want to trust in His righteousness to deliver you, then thank God that the Holy Spirit has convicted you. It's the Holy Spirit that has regenerated you, that has convicted you. Jesus tells us in verses 8 to 11 that it is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Spirit has personally convicted you and caused you to see your need for a Savior and the perfect righteousness of another on your behalf. And if you're not convinced still, dear friends, then you stand condemned also by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit also judicially prosecutes the world of its sin, lack of righteousness, and the coming judgment. And it is my hope and plea that on that day, when you come before the judgment throne of God, that you would stand on the side of grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. So may the Holy Spirit of God reveal to us the spiritual conditions of our hearts and the glories and riches to be found in the crucified and risen and ascended Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we declare and we confess and we acknowledge that you are God. Just as the Son and the Father is God, the Holy Spirit, you are God. Thank you, Jesus, for sending us the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth. Thank you for guiding us into all truth. We ask that you continue your, your work in the believers 
empowering us to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. We also pray for our visitors and our friends who have not yet trusted you. We ask Holy Spirit for you to work in their hearts, to reveal yourself to them in a powerful and mighty way, in an undeniable way. We pray that you help them to see the glory of Christ and pierce their heart with the gospel light. Thank you for your faithfulness and your mercy. We pray all this in your precious Son's name, Jesus. Amen.